Welcome to Private Equity Perspectives, a podcast by BDO USA's private equity practice. Each episode, BDO connects with leaders in the private equity space to discuss the latest trends driving deal activity, fund strategies, and portfolio company optimization. Hello, and welcome to another episode of BDO's Private Equity Perspectives podcast. I'm Todd Kinney, National Relationship Director with the Private Equity Practice based here in New York City. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome two very special guests to discuss the private equity landscape for energy and infrastructure. First, I'd like to introduce Evan Turner, who's founder and managing partner at Drillcore Energy Partners. Welcome, Evan. Thank you. Next, I'd like to introduce Michael Albrecht, who is a partner at Ridgewood Infrastructure. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me, Todd. Yep. It's great to have both of you here. So let's, uh, let's jump right in. Evan, as the, uh, again, the founder and managing partner at Drillcore, can you tell us about your role there and the, uh, the origins of the company? Sure. Thanks, Todd. So Drillcore Energy Partners is a New York City-based uh, investment firm focused on the energy industry with a particular focus on the upstream oil and gas space in the United States. We partner with family-owned and operated as well as privately owned and operated uh, oil and gas companies where they're seeking uh, off-balance sheet capital or a drilling partner uh, for uh, the development of their asset base. My role is involved with deal sourcing, uh, structuring, execution, portfolio monitoring, as well as investor relations. Awesome. Well, you definitely have uh, a wealth of experience to bring to the conversation. Turning to Michael, you're a, you're, again, you're, uh, you're a partner at Ridgewood uh, Infrastructure. I'm sure listeners would love to hear a little bit more about what Ridgewood does. Sure, happy to do so. Uh, Ridgewood Infrastructure is an infrastructure fund focused on the United States. We focus on opportunities from what we call the lower middle market, and that's really a function of uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, our equity check size of uh, as small as $50 million, upwards to $150 million plus, uh, a segment that we find to be very fertile for investment origination and execution. Uh, we also see a real opportunity in terms of the investment profile in those opportunities. Uh, a large amount of capital is needed to help fund various infrastructure projects throughout the United States. Uh, in particular, we focus on water, wastewater, and other essential infrastructure such as pipelines, electric utilities, gas utilities, electric transmission, but very much have a broad mandate if it is within that infrastructure genre. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the background, and I think the uh, the combination of the two of you is going to lead to some great content for the listeners. Um, so there's an interesting finding from uh, the recently launched BDO U.S. Private Capital Outlook Survey uh, that I'll share with you guys and then get your feedback. Apparently, 32% of PE fund managers in the U.S. said that energy and natural resources is one of the top three sectors most likely to see increasing deal activity in 2020. So I guess I'm curious, and Evan, I'll, I'll start with you, if this data surprises you at all. It does not. Uh, it's one of the best performing sectors in the last year uh, publicly. However, it's been one of the worst performing sectors of the past five years. And so a lot of uh, private investors are seeking opportunities that they can buy either at a discounted rate uh, on behalf of their investor base, as well as um, uh, going after deals that maybe now that there's a uh, alignment with the bid-ask spread uh, with a slight increase in commodity prices um, over the past year, that they can actually make the right acquisitions for the right price for their portfolio and for their um, uh, alignment with their firm. Um, 
specifically on the upstream oil and gas side, where we have a particular focus at Drillcore, we actually believe that there will be slightly an increase, but right now that segment of the energy sector is a little bit, quote unquote, stale, in that there is not too much M&A activity from the private side. If there is, it's primarily equity capital commitments uh, from uh, venture capital focused funds, uh, or it's uh, new issuance of debt and equity uh, of publicly traded companies. I do believe that uh, infrastructure where uh, Michael sits uh, and other firms will actually see a lot of uh, increased activity, more so on uh, than on the upstream side. And uh, with a particular focus on water handling and saltwater disposal, as well as uh, offtake uh, via uh, midstream pipeline and then eventually uh, uh, facilities at ports and other export import terminals uh, throughout the United States. All right. So, Michael, I guess same question to you. Uh, do you find that data surprising? You know, I actually would have thought the number would have been greater than what the findings uh, the findings had. But I think, to, as Evans pointed out, you know, relative to the upstream side, we're focused on the midstream angle, as Evan pointed out. And you know, what we see is as the commodity price environment has been relatively uh, lower than I think a lot of folks would like, we're starting to see attractive uh, valuation opportunities where many very high quality midstream companies are just undergoing where they're perhaps seeing slightly over leverage accruing to their balance sheet. And they're looking for equity partners like Ridgewood Infrastructure to come in, help augment that balance sheet, invest in some of those more capital intensive projects. So as we look at 2020, uh, we expect the midstream sector to be um, have a bit more velocity, a bit more deal flow as the commodity prices remain where they are. Um, it'll create a lot of opportunities, I think, for, for us. Nice. Appreciate that uh, perspective. We'll have to check our, uh, our, our data numbers. Maybe that's uh, it's a higher <laughs> number. All right. Another topic for both of you guys. Um, why do you think we're seeing more attractive returns in the middle market in particular? Um, Michael, why don't I throw this one to you first and then we'll go to Evan. Yeah, happy to. And I couldn't agree more, Todd. I think as we look at the various segments of the market, in particular for private capital, the lower middle market creates a, a unique perspective. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. I think the, the primary three relate to there's a greater number of companies there. So you have a, a broader depth that also secondly creates more fragmentation, um, which has more dislocation. And then many of the private capital funds that are in the marketplace, generally speaking, tend to be much larger uh, and are seeking to put more dollars to work than they can employ in the middle market because it just doesn't move the needle for them. So as we look at that, we see um, a more fertile environment uh, to go out and attack. But, but importantly, you need to have the right fit for purpose from both an equity investment size, as I, as I suggested, but then also from an investment strategy perspective. And I think that's what's allowed you know, Ridgewood Infrastructure uh, to identify and close three investments over the last handful of uh, months on a bilateral basis. And I think similarly with Evan and his firm, focusing on this space creates a lot of opportunity and velocity. Sure. Evan? I couldn't agree uh, more with you, Michael. Um, the energy sector as a whole, specifically oil and gas is one of the most fragmented sectors uh, globally, and specifically in the United States, there's over 10,000 privately owned and operated or sponsor-backed uh, oil and gas companies or partnerships. And that allows creation at the lower uh, to middle market uh, landscape for investors like ours uh, to pursue these types of transactions 
where there's still value to be had uh, that is accretive uh, in a uh, structure uh, that works for private investors like Drillcore and uh, uh, Michael's firm Ridgewood. Right, right. It's certainly a good time to be in the uh, the middle market. Uh, you know, at BDO, I can uh, I can vouch for that. Uh, so, Michael, I'll ask you uh, this next topic. We've uh, we've really started to see some firms that have been rooted in traditional energy that are opening up really to a new mandate that includes alternative energy and renewables, really often uh, coinciding with a new fundraise. So, is that is that something perhaps your firm is uh, focused on? Uh, yes. So within the definition of how we look at infrastructure in the U.S., renewables has uh, a place within our portfolio. And that's really rooted in, as you think about our investment strategy, a key piece of it as well is our focus on environmental social governance. So renewables very much fits that mandate. Um, but as noted earlier, given our middle market focus, it tends to be less so in the utility scale renewables, more so as an example um, you know, commercial industrial solar, whereby you're you're doing smaller solar arrays, building them up into a larger portfolio, diversified portfolio of investment grade opportunities, and then uh, eventually passing those on to that long term owner. And in one way, we do that and create returns. Uh, within renewables is by doing great partnerships. So we look, as an example, partnering with EPC firms or engineering, procurement, and construction firms, whereby we can get in earlier and create that value for our investors. Okay, very uh, very insightful. Well, let's uh, let's take our uh, our coffee break now and welcome our guest Laurent Williot, who's a MD and. BDO's Transaction Advisory Services practice in New York. Laurent has more than 20 years of experience in audit and acquisition advisory. Let's hear what he has to say. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Michael, and Ivan, for your insights. Today, as we start a new year and even a new decade, I would like to discuss the opportunities that exist in energy and infrastructure. First, let's agree on the definition. For most investors, the energy and infrastructure sector is made of a vast number of subsectors that includes oil and gas, power and utilities, telecom, transportation, and social assets. The energy and infrastructure sector presents some unique opportunities. First, the key strength of the sector is evidenced by the huge amount of cash that has been raised by infrastructure funds over the years. Since 2014, more than $500 billion has been raised globally by the top 50 infra funds, according to the publication Infrastructure Investor. 2018 and 2019 were both record years with about $100 billion raised each year. Mega funds, some exceeding $10 billion, have been raised recently by the likes of Blackstone, GIP, Brookfield, or EQT. This amount of dry powder has fueled M&A activity in the sector, in particular with regards to energy transactions, as it is estimated that more than two-thirds of transactions by the top 10 infrastructures are in the energy sector, whether it be oil and gas or electricity. Second, the U.S. has huge needs for infrastructure. There are trillions in capex that are needed to replace a crumbling infrastructure to meet the population growth and shift to cities, to build the digital infrastructure of tomorrow or meet the renewable energy goals, etc. Digital infrastructure, including data centers, fiber optic cables, 
has been subject to significant M&A activity in 2019, and this trend is expected to continue in 2020. Experts see opportunities for fiber in second-tier cities that have less competition than large population centers. Third, renewable energy deals are also expected to show some strong activity as states try to reach their RPS or Renewable Portfolio Standard Goals by their respective deadlines. As the share of renewable energy increases in the total amount of electricity generated, it will be more and more critical to have battery storage available to increase grid reliability and balance the intermittency inherent to solar and wind power. Energy storage might see a ramp up in the next few years comparable to what was seen in the renewable energy sector over the last 10 years. Some experts expect the sector to grow by 700% over the next five years as prices continue to drop and reach $100 per kilowatt hour or even lower. Fourth, LNG exports will also be a driving trend in the sector as the U.S. becomes one of the largest producers of natural gas and reaches 30% of the global world capacity for LNG exports. Finally, technological and digital transformation will play a key role in helping companies cut costs, increase efficiencies, optimize supply chains, and ultimately extract value from infrastructure assets. And with that, back to you, Todd. Thanks for sharing your insights, Laurent. Now let's return to our conversation with Evan Turner and Michael Albrecht. Evan and Michael, at both of your firms, there are applications of technology being used to evaluate investment opportunities for sure. Um, Evan, I'll throw this to you first, then Michael. So what does that look like for diligence, transaction, and legal teams? Thanks, Todd. You bring up a good point. We've seen a lot of enhancements in uh, both the uh, accuracy of uh, technology and uh, digital applications applied to the energy industry, and we're seeing an increase in usage uh, by firms similar to Drillport. We use technology on a daily basis, both at the fund level as well as at the portfolio or target company level. And this is related to acquisition targets by looking at digitization of maps, um, uh, looking at results uh, from the uh, perspective uh, targets or at the actual company level, and applying this large data uh, to make it a comprehensive understanding of uh, where we can make decisions. Uh, We use this both uh, by our investment team, as well as in accounting and by our legal and uh, transaction team. Right. Michael, how about at uh, Ridgewood? Sure. And, and maybe to give a, di- a slightly different perspective than Evans, where he's applying those findings to get more uh, accurate uh, research finally, perhaps for, for looking at oil content. Um, you know, we've seen it really impact us and how, how we communicate and work with our advisors, but then also how we cut and consume the results from those advisors. So as an example, um, as we work with firms such as Eurostats and BDO and others, how we're interacting through the use of technology has allowed us to increase um, communication, uh, provide feedback, receive feedback, uh, answering questions. Uh, And in addition, as we get results, 
um, when we've asked your team to sort of maybe pivot and look at sort of a different way of cutting it, um, you've been able to do that very quickly, accelerate that back to us. So it's almost real-time analysis. It informs our strategy to be working with these counterparties um, that we certainly very much appreciated. Um, and look, at the end of the day, we all know it really is that industry uh, and business operations knowledge is that drive those uh, fundamental views and assumptions, but the technology that's being employed uh, assists us in being more informed at a more expeditious pace. Right. Well, uh, first, I guess I'll, I'll thank you for the client testimonial there. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. But, you know, we're certainly seeing a lot of application of tech within BDO, and uh, I assume we weren't alone. So moving on, uh, Michael, I guess as you're probably aware, the American Society of uh, Civil Engineers gave U.S. water infrastructure a grade of D plus. Not uh, not too good. Do you think this underinvestment uh, in the U.S. has created opportunities? It has, Todd. And, and maybe to, to scratch a little bit further beneath the surface on this underinvestment issue, it really is an important issue for the United States. Um, and to give you a sense of that and magnitude of that, you know, the EPA, the American Society of Civil Engineers, everybody has slightly different estimates of what's this going to cost. But to just give you some data points, um, there's a need of over $40 billion per year over the next 20 years to bring this problem up to an acceptable standard, not, you know, the, the tier one standard, but simply an acceptable standard. So it's a trillion dollar problem. Mm. And as you think about that investment in the in, in what is needed, about half of that is due to maintenance on that infrastructure. The other half is due to growth as you see uh, urban sprawl without throughout the United States. And where that opportunity persists is not only that underinvestment, but for a middle market firm such as Ridgewood, um, highly fragmented opportunity. There's over 65,000 water and wastewater utilities in the United States for 300 million people. To put that in context, in the UK, you know, 60 million people, there are 28. Not 28,000, there are 28 roughly water and wastewater utilities. So as you think about the opportunity for consolidation, to invest in these communities, increase water quality, we view that as a win-win because one, we can find attractive uh, opportunities to invest, but then two, we're providing uh, high quality service, water to those underlying communities. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I guess let's, let's think globally, and you started to, to hint at that. Uh, in, in your respective areas of focus, um, maybe you could tell our listeners how you would compare U.S. versus overseas uh, investments. And, Michael, I'll throw this one to you first and then let Evan chime in. Sure. I, I mean, just riffing off of my, my prior comment, I think as you think about um, the United States, we do, in particular within water, as an example, see many, many more opportunities. And a part of that is it's very much that fragmentation, the underinvestment, uh, and the attractive fundamentals within the United States, a very stable, transparent environment to be investing. But then through the asset management or value creation stage of, of, of ownership, you're working with sophisticated regulators, environmental agencies that want to see continued investment uh, put back into these companies. And those fundamentals that I talked about, you know, Another aspect of it is for us is the environmental and social governance focus of our fund and, and applying that. So you tend to see roughly across the country, uh, approximately 20% of the water that's treated is actually lost 
through the transmission to the homes, through mm. leaking pipes and aging infrastructure. So if we can rectify that, not only is that great for the environment, but it also actually lowers the bills for consumers. And that's something, an aspect that we focus on, and how can we give back and be more efficient with these assets? And you know, within the water space, uh, as an example, the U.S. really has that opportunity relative to many other uh, international countries. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get into ESG in the, uh, in, the, in the next question, but Evan, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, as Michael pointed out, the U.S. does have uh, a lot of opportunities, and that's where we uh, at DrillCore focus and a lot of other uh, upstream energy-focused funds uh, are focused on. Um, we see uh, an enhancement in... Uh, acquisition and drilling uh, and the capital that is chasing that uh, is uh, gearing up to increase with new fund raises uh, as well as additional uh, investments from uh, both public markets and the private sector in oil and gas. And we're seeing uh, a number of uh, acquisition opportunities here in the United States. So we're, we're focused here versus overseas. There's more dedicated funds uh, that are privately uh, held uh, for uh, oil and gas investment for the upstream side versus um, uh, international funds. And so in the United States, uh, there's a lot of uh, competitors in the space, and that allows us to potentially find co-sponsors or uh, an ability to find a minority if we're not doing the majority control investment opportunity uh, with another partner here in the United States. And so... We're excited to see where this new decade uh, leads us in the energy space, and uh, we're happy to be a part of it and contributing to uh, employment opportunities as well as uh, on behalf of investor bases. Right, right. Well, I, I think we all agree whether it's infrastructure or energy, just massive market opportunities. So good luck to both of your firms. You. Let's jump into our, uh, our actually our final question, and it's about ESG uh, investing trends. I guess for our listeners' sake, uh, ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. Um, there's certainly uh, growing evidence that suggests that ESG factors, when integrated into uh, investment analysis and, and portfolio construction, uh, really may offer investors potential long-term performance advantages. Um, so, Evan, uh, I'll ask you, and then we'll have Michael chime in, is, you know, do you see ESG investments having a bright and lucrative future? Sure, uh, Todd, I'll, I'll chime in. I definitely agree. I do believe uh, ESG policies and investment opportunities are scaling up, and uh, it is a almost necessary requirement to have an ESG policy if you're in the oil industry. Um, and we are seeing a lot of opportunities that uh, allows a oil and gas focused firm uh, to uh, rise above the competition by showing not only are your results uh, better uh, on a per well basis or for uh, portfolio basis, but also showing that you're not having any oil spills or any uh, leaks in pipeline. Uh, these are important factors that help us make a good name for ourselves uh, in the oil and gas industry. Yeah, and Michael, you've already touched on ESG in a, a previous response, but what are your thoughts? Sure, I, I agree with Evan. I think it absolutely adds value. And, and you know how we think about it is, you know one, it's part of our investment philosophy. It's one of the aspects we focus on a great deal. In fact, during our due diligence of investments, we engage specific 
uh, ESG advisors to work with us and analyze the company's current progress. What could we be doing to enhance that going forward? And, you know, one full stop, that's an important aspect to us. But to your very specific question is, does that does that sort of trickle down from a returns perspective to investors? And we absolutely think it does. We've seen it benefit our firm uh, from both. We partner with many corporates, uh, strategics, with municipalities. And, you know, those entities find it highly valuable that Ridgewood does have a focus on ESG because that's their partner. They have a mission and values around that focus. And for us, having a similar mission and value statement, um, it allows us to create better uh, investments from an origination perspective. And then as we eventually go to monetize those investments, the potential buyers uh, put a premium on companies that are focused on these aspects. So I think there's a, a, you know, I think they call it a triple bottom line where, you know, the the company is, is it's a win for them. It's a win for the community and the associated uh, customers. And then for that long-term buyer, everyone's winning and benefiting from that sort of focus holistically. Nothing wrong with a win-win-win, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, listen, guys, we are, uh, we've come to the end of the, uh, the podcast, this edition, but uh, really appreciate you both being here. We value the uh, relationship with your firms and wish you nothing but success in the years to come. Thank you, Todd. Thanks Thank for joining you, us. We appreciate it. To our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of the show on iTunes. Until next time, this is BDO's Private Equity Perspectives. The views presented by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of their respective firms. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Perspectives podcast. For more information on how BDO supports private equity sponsors, funds, and their portfolio companies with a full spectrum of accounting, tax, and advisory services, please visit us at BDO.com. If you enjoyed the show, we hope you visit iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join us next time for another edition of Private Equity Perspectives. Perspectives.